And without further ado, Pastor John. No, no, no. no. You want God to kill me? I don't want that to happen. Good morning. Where you all been? Boy, I missed you. Glad to be back. You missed me, huh? Thanks. (laughs) Very nice. Well, good morning, everybody. Sorry, I talked into my microphone. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Hope you had a decent holiday. I was thinking as... um, as Ben was mentioning how, uh, how, mu- how we should have joy and all that, that for some of us going through the holidays isn't always that fun, right? I know some of us are going, yeah. We had one a little bit, uh, a little bit of, um, oh, stress. So it was one of those holidays that we were kind of glad. Oh, Christmas is over, thank God. You know, one of those. Ever had one of those? Anyway. We're doing good. Thank you for those who have been praying for my mom. She is back to normal, which I'm not sure whether to thank you for that or not. But uh, she's like raring to go. She had eye surgery. That was a joke. I better admit that because they'll probably listen to my podcast and boy, am I in trouble now. Let's see. I have a few things I wanted to mention today. One is thanks for all your cards, gifts, things like that before the holiday. I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks, so... Thanks for being gracious. I was uh, kind of worn out and realized that I needed to be with my mom through the surgery, and so um, you know I, I couldn't be on last week. So thank you. Thanks to the preachers who filled in for me. We have some guys around here that preach occasionally. I think they did a pretty good job from what I heard. I haven't gotten a listen yet, but I'm going to. And uh, thank you for doing that, both of you. Uh, did the dry bones live? That was the question, right? They did. Okay, I'm just checking. Did you use a clip from an old movie? Huh? I, it wasn't posted yet. I couldn't. I couldn't listen. Huh? <laughs> Mrs. Balaam, would you like to come up and preach the word this morning? Because I'm game. Anyway, so thank you for that break. Let's see. I thank the preachers. If if you've gotten trouble emailing me uh it's it might be me and also i finally turned my i'm away thing off thank you if you did get that i'm back but um i i have had a little bit of trouble with my email i think it's because i'm still using don't laugh at me aol i i know i know please anyway uh yeah so keep trying all right, and if you have any trouble, you can always email the church and get through via Jody if there is any kind of a problem. I also normally, on the first Sunday that I'm back, preach on the new year the State of the Church Address. What are you laughing? I heard somebody laughing. And um, I will do that, but I wasn't ready. Taking assessment of the state of the church took me more than this week, so I needed to think about that, how to, how to communicate. So I need to take another week. Next week I will do that, but we have been all along in this series on grace, and some of you may remember our series has been Grace Illustrated, and uh, so I'm going to bring us back to that. I will do the state of the church, and then we will move on, okay? Uh, going back to the subject of grace. Frankly... I know somebody had mentioned a song to one of our worship people, uh, Sing Them Over Again to Me, Wonderful Words of Life, remember that? Well, the reason I'm mentioning it is only that, 
uh, there's a line in there that, uh, no, that's not the one. It's a song, uh, let's see, I Love to Tell the Story. Remember that one? Anybody old enough to remember that? Anybody too old to remember that? No, that's... Uh, those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. In other words, I can never get enough instruction, never understand fully, adequately, the grace of God and what that means for me. You can never really exhaust it. In fact, one of the things I discovered about being a believer, uh, and I've been a Christian since 1971, September, that was the year that... Uh, Jesus found me and rescued me out of a crazy life. Um, I have not been bored since then. Amen. You don't have to say amen. If you've been bored, I'm sorry. I'm just, but I haven't been. I don't know how to be because there is so much to plumbing the depths of God's grace and his love and his word and who can ever have adequate, right? So... With that in mind, I want to return to um, Grace Revisited. And I use that picture as our theme way from the beginning because I see that idea of the good shepherd carrying his lambs in his arms and that picture comes out in songs and in the word that that's a great picture of grace, God sustaining people who are helpless, lost, messed up, uh, don't even realize how much trouble they're in half the time. You know, the dumb sheep goes out into the weeds, doesn't realize he's on the verge of death, but the shepherd rescues and brings them back. So I'm going to kind of remind us of that today. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take a quiz. Because last time I did a quiz, remember last year? Anybody remember from last year? We did a quiz. People like that. Now, if you didn't like it, I'm sorry, but the people who liked it told me so. So guess what? The rest of you have to suffer because of the ones who told me they liked it. Here it is, a quiz. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you guys are bad. I thought I was bad. I am bad. Anyway, quiz. And I did some, I think, some pretty good sermons on grace. And I'm wondering how much we might remember. So this test will determine whether you get to stay in this church or not. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. The series was called Grace Illustrated, and we started with the concept brought straight out of the Old Testament. You might recognize this. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Does that sound familiar? Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Is from which book? Somebody gave the exact quote, right? Isaiah, or as they say in England, Isaiah. 53, right? Isaiah 53, 6, right in there. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That verse, I'm going to run it again. That same verse teaches which of these theological truths? Is that your final, final answer? I love to do that because then you go, gee, maybe I'm wrong, you know, and you, your question, right? How many of you failed tests because you changed the answer because somebody, right? Shouldn't have done it. Should have gone with your first reaction. Okay, so what was it? Yes, it's atonement. It's taught. Now, both of those other words are true gospel words, right? Justification means God imputes to you the righteousness of Christ. You know, we were singing this song this morning. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. 
and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. I'm thinking about who I am, and I don't get why he's loving me. Right? I'll tell you why. Because God has imputed to you the righteousness of Christ because you're in him. Anybody understand that? Okay, and if you don't, you need to come to understand it because it's the place where I can rest. It's not based on how well I perform. Now, there's another side to this discussion, obviously. Oh, good, it doesn't matter. Woohoo! Bad. Because the other word also counts sanctification, right? That is the process. What is that? Yes, it's a process. There's two dimensions of sanctification. You're declared holy. Do you know that the Bible calls every one of you, anybody in the room born again? Oh, we're going to have to work on that one. Okay. Um, It's really important that you get born again because Jesus said, unless a man or woman is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. All true Christians, whether they fully understand it or not, or have the right verbalizations, or have all the right theology, their theology can be off a little bit. If they have come to genuine faith in Jesus, they've been born again. Everybody got that? All right, so that's the transforming work. It begins this process of real belief. You're called, because of that, you are a born-again Christian. You are referred to in the Bible as saints. Saints aren't the little things with the rubber sticker thing on your dashboard. Those are saints too, but, you know, little statues of saints. But it is not restricted only to people that a certain dimension of the church canonizes. Saints, according to Scripture, are those who are declared sanctified, set apart, holy for God's purposes. And that's all true born-again believers. Whether they live up to it or not, that's who they are. But there's also the experiential dimension of growing in grace because I become more and more, maybe slowly, maybe quickly, like Jesus, right? If you're like me, it's taking you a long time to get with it. I know you guys are way ahead of me, right? So, theological points, atonement, justification, sanctification. Let me just make it clear, though. When it says he has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, That's atonement. There are a couple other words you could use there, by the way. We didn't have time for a whole theology lesson, but that's the advantage of giving you a test. I can go anywhere I want with this. Anybody ever heard of the word expiation? How about propitiation, right? Atonement means somebody has paid the penalty for the sin that somebody has done. That's atonement. Expiation is the same kind of meaning. The guilt responsibility, the judgment that should fall on me has been expiated. It's been atoned for. I'm let off. Propitiation includes that but adds one other dimension. Anybody know what it is? Propitiation goes past expiation. Expiation means, hey, I got let out of jail free. What's propitiation? There's satisfaction. There's also reconciliation implied. See, I can get released by the judge, and I don't have to pay the consequences or go to jail, but that doesn't mean I'm friends with the police force. They still don't like me. But propitiation brings reconciliation. It rebuilds the relationship, okay? Can you imagine all of that came out of that question? Next question. Sir. 
I'm sorry. Atonement? Expiation. Expiation, propitiation. Okay? So that was only question two, and we got 87 to get through. Can you imagine? No, there's only 10. It's only 10. You can't leave this test. No, you, you, you have to take the test. Anyway. All right. So that states atonement. That was out of the opening sermon on Grace Illustrated. Then we came to almost the holiday time, and I chose to preach a sermon called Grace Incarnate. What do you think that's about? Come on, it's not a trick question. Jesus, thank you. His coming in the flesh, Grace Incarnate. Here's what it says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In this text, only begotten means. Now we're going to see who was paying attention to Pastor John. Well, there you go. I guess you were paying attention. I, I can't even fail anybody. This is no fun. Okay. You're right. It's one of a kind. It has nothing to do with human birth. I mean, it can refer to... Uh, like an only child without other children, but it's not about human birth or not of human birth. It is, here's the word you can use, unique. Unique in all the universe. The Son of God is unique, and he is. Then, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is a necessary teaching, right, on the subject of grace. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast, is found where? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Now, take that same reference, by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What is the very next verse? Which one of these phrases is the next verse? You sure? Are you all sure? Anybody not sure? You tr- oh, that's not fair. She, she, I trust the pastor sitting behind me. Yeah, that's. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm really not preaching on this today, but consider that for a second. Can you imagine? Beforehand, from ancient times, before you were thunk of, as my parents used to say. Remember that? Before you were thunk of. God had a plan. If he selected you and you're part of his family, you're one of the called ones, you're born again, there are deeds that he has in mind for you to fulfill. Yikes. Can you imagine? I mean, just thinking about that. Well, anyway, that's harder than Star Trek, let me tell you. All right. Next one. I did a sermon called Child Support, remember? And it was not about broken homes or child support. It was about God's child support for us, right? We're his children because Jesus is a priest forever, the Bible says. It follows then that his power to save those who come to God through him is absolute. In fact, I think the title was, uh, one of them was um, To the Uttermost, remember? To the Uttermost. That verse implies which thing? Both. That's right. The security of the believer, that should be clear. There's a whole discussion, right? Everybody loves to fight about that one. The security of the believer, that Christ is the one mediator with God. Both of those are true. Both of those are true. Let me comment for just a second. Christ being the one mediator with God. 
It's critical mass. Uh, he's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He did, you know, we didn't make that up. Christianity didn't make that up. Some church council didn't make that up. It came through the mouth of Jesus himself, the God-man. Uh, and he's basically saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I know it's politically incorrect today. I know that. But he wasn't really interested in making people happy. He was interested in saving them and making them holy. The same thing is true for us today. Uh, He's not always in the business of keeping us happy. Have you noticed that? And uh, sometimes it's to our advantage that we are challenged in that regard. The security of the believer. Um, Can I touch on that for a second? You're right. Thank you. So that now that we have that settled, um, people fight about this all the time. And by the way, can I just say, I I interact with uh, one of the guys on my staff. I think that's good, don't you think? I talk to Derek and Tim like once a month, I try to say. But we were talking one day, and it's interesting when you teach on a subject like this, um, the fighting that goes on among Christians, mainly because we're completely ignorant and don't know what we're talking about. Just being blunt. So people say, oh, I don't believe that one saved, always saved. See, I knew I could throw out a hand grenade, right? Now everybody's like, neither do I. Do I believe in the eternal security of the believer? Absolutely. And people think, well, that's Calvinistic heresy. And others say that's Arminian heresy. And I don't even bother using heresy for either of those points of view because it is possible you know what you ever do a venn diagram okay you got two circles they intersect in the middle there's common ground there's these fringes but there's this common ground all sound bible doctrine fits in that common ground when it comes to this because a calvinist someone who believes that god rescues and eternally secures a believer which i do believe jesus said anyone that is in my hands is in the Father's hands. No one can pluck them out of my hand. There's some point that he's making. He is not teaching that a person who simply says some words in a prayer is automatically a child of God. The real teaching about eternal security is written this way, the perseverance of the saints. Have you ever heard that? The perseverance of the saints. In other words, the grace of God's is secured in my soul, and he will continue his work in me. Even if I stumble and get off track or whatever, he's going to drag me back, if necessary, screaming and kicking and get me back on the right path. There are people that I know the grace of God has worked in, and when they get ugly, and it does happen, can you imagine? Dear friends on occasion, ooh, you've gotten a little bit ugly there with your attitude. Mm. I really don't want to have coffee with you right now. There's a sense in my spirit, the grace of God has secured this person. They're coming back, and they do. It's fun. So I just wanted to clarify that a little bit. I do believe that when I genuinely come to faith, I I am settled in that. And the reason I will teach that, and I I don't disparage people who disagree. You're free to do that. You just can't take over my pulpit. Um, 
What kind of a gospel is it if I'm afraid that every time I lose my cool, a driver cuts me off, a bad word comes out of my mouth or whatever, if I were to get killed right there, I go to hell? That is not a gospel. That's neurosis. Christ has secured eternity for us. We need to learn how to rest in that. And if we really believe it, we will not coddle our sins, but we will be in the process of transformation. In fact, I think that's the theme for 2018. Didn't you preach something about change? See here, do something like that, right? Yeah, and I think that's what's normal for the normal Christian life. Okay, enough on that, because Jesus is a priest forever. Both of those are true. The security of believer and Christ is the one mediator with God. All right, where was I? How far am I? There it is. Question number seven, child support again. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word confidence means... (sighs) Cheryl... Oh, dear. Okay. I can't even torment them now. You let the cat out of the bag. Did did you all hear? Yeah, keep moving. Next question. Okay, I'm going to have to have a bonus round now. Did anybody hear what she said? Oh, shucks. Anyway, yeah. See, I knew I would catch on that one because you had to really be listening carefully. Because the word confidence is not believing. That's a whole different word. Uh, piety, you know, if I'm very reverent, then God will hear me. That's exactly the opposite of the point of the verse. The point of the verse is be frank. In some language, it says come boldly before. And it's like be free to mouth off is what it's kind of saying. It doesn't mean be rude. It's saying tell the truth. Come clean. Say, God, I don't have. I love the way we were praying this morning and talking about coming to worship, right? We don't deserve this. He's saying, come even though you don't deserve. Look, I know, oh Lord, I just feel so ashamed of the way my last week went, the way I be. But I'm coming to you, frankly. And that's what he's telling you. You have that right to do that because you are in Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, isn't that cool, though? That's cool. Lord, I am a mess. Sometimes, you know, I, some of you know I sneak in here some, some Saturday nights to pray, and I, I come in, I'm like, I am such a mess. And uh, no, I'm not hung over or anything like that. Everybody's wondering, what is he talking about? I'm just, we all have junk, right? And, and sometimes I've had to use the prayer of some of the reformers who basically came, say, I don't even know where to start. So let me start here. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Just start there. Jesus, thou son of David. That means he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. Have mercy on me. And you know what? He does. And within minutes, I can feel his spirit helping me pray and get back where I need to be. Try it. You'll like it. Okay. Manifest kindness. Um, according to Paul's sermon, I think that I, we just did the yeah, frankness. That was my little sermonette on frankness. Let us join in. Let's see if this will go. Uh, I think I'm dead here. Thank you, bro. That's it. 
According to Paul's sermon in Acts 14, which specific gift from God shows his grace? Television, Television definitely. <laughs> Actually, I should have put movies, because that I know is a... A, a conduit of grace to me all the time. Anyway, television, human love, food. What one? Huh? Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yay. I feel so fulfilled if I catch on something. What did you say? Food? He wins. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, but it's this was um, we the the name of that sermon was manifest kindness, and what I was communicating is five ways that God shows grace to the whole human race. The fact that we exist, He sustains us, He gives us human love, He gives us creativity. Human love was part of that sermon. So those of you who said it because you remembered it, way to go! But the real answer in His sermon was God has not left Himself without a witness. People say, yeah, if God's up there, why didn't he show himself? He has been showing. He's been screaming at the human race for thousands of years. And Paul says, in that he did good. He showed kindness. He sent fruitful seasons, rains in the right season, and harvest and food, filling our hearts with food and gladness. That's one of the manifestations of the goodness and kindness and grace of God. Because uh, in case you haven't put the dots or connected the dots yet, he would have been totally justified to go <laughs> to all of it. He did it once, the flood, trying to clean us up. You might notice it didn't work. Of course, he knew it wasn't going to work. You're all thinking, why did God make such a mistake? He doesn't make mistakes. One day, he's going to completely clean it up, correct? Next question. In Exodus 28, this was child support. The high priest wears certain stones on his ephod. That's his, his priestly robe, high priestly robe. What were they? This is an essay question, by the way. Everybody get your papers out. Start writing. What's that? I want you to name every stone. You know, this, this is an essay question like the one about, you know, the feeding of the 5,000? Name them. You know, trying to get into heaven. <laughs> you had to be here. Go back and listen to my last sermon. Anyway. Yes, sir. Okay. They were first on the shoulders, there were two onyx stones, and the onyx stones were were uh, inscribed with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Second, in the ephod, in the, um, where the Urim and Thummim was stored, there were 12 gemstones, all representing the 12 tribes of Israel. What does that mean? What is that all about? Hey, like on the day that I do my uh, sacrifices, I have to look really cool. Today we worry about hairstyles and Gucci, you know, but back then it was like, hey. No, that's not it. What does it mean? Don't you guys have a sense of humor? You're in the wrong church. Anyway, ma'am? Yes, he brought the people of God as a memorial into the presence of God. Here I am making intercession with the blood of the sacrifice to atone for their sins. I carry the children of Israel on my shoulders and across my chest. Isn't that amazing? Over my heart. What a picture. 
which is the description of Jesus who intercedes for us today. Can you imagine? I still, I don't, I have never gotten my head wrapped around that. That he's interceding for us right now. But like the high priest, he is our high priest. He goes in before the Father and he bears on his shoulders and on his, over his heart, your name. Holy mackerel. And you think it's okay to ignore him all week. That was a little sermon, sorry. But that's what that means. Isn't that awesome? That's an awesome thing. Next question, sir. Thank you. Why does some refer to the gospel as scandalous grace? Anybody want to go with both? You should. The murder of Jesus was the most... What's the matter? Did you have the right answer? That's extra credit. You get, you get forgiven for... <laughs> you didn't answer the other... <laughs> How fun, right? Yes, the murder of Jesus was the most heinous crime. You know, we can think of some pretty terrible crimes, right? I mean, the world is in turmoil today. There's a lot of time to think about some of the tragedies of war... Uh, all over Europe and, and uh, Africa, South America, some of the drug war. Oh, man, it's chaotic. We think of all the heinous things that humanity is capable of doing to his fellow human beings. It doesn't touch murdering, abusing the holy son of God who was perfect. He was God. He was holy. He wasn't like us. And he was viciously and illegally, by the way, put to death. But I have to admit, second to that is the justification of vile people. <sighs> I'm at the light yesterday, a couple of days ago, and there's my green light to turn left on the green, and I start to move, and <clears throat> boy, you're vile. <laughs> you didn't know what I was talking about. Okay, never mind. No, I didn't say that they were vile. I didn't. I had other thoughts, actually. <laughs> you want to know what I thought? No, this is a preacher's um, weakness coming out here. I'm going to tell you what I think sometimes. Cause so when they smash and kill themselves and somebody else, and then they're going to have a funeral. And people will be saying, I just don't know why. They were such wonderful people, and they were so kind. They loved everybody. Really? It was a manifestation of your selfish, self-important, one-way-only thinking that brought death to everybody. You asked. I was not going there, but you asked. Thank you, brother. Okay, so that's why it's scant. Huh? What? Hey, maybe they should Okay, so. <laughs> anyway. All I'm saying is, I've never done anything even close to that. Amen. We're so vile. Are you following what I'm saying? That's the point. In fact, that brings us to my message, which will only take an hour and 15 minutes to preach. So. 
we'll be out of here as soon as I'm done. No, actually, it's quite short. It brings me to the next verse, a segue from what we're talking about here. I think the point's kind of getting through. Look at this. This is God's assessment of humanity without Jesus. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, today it's an interesting world where we don't even know what sin is. You know, not recycling is one of the worst sins you can do. Yeah, boy, are we, we're so far from God. But trespassing, and we too all formally, notice Paul is writing us, he says, even me as a Jew who was trying to follow the law like a fanatic, and he was. We lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of what? Yikes! Even as the rest. Oh, God doesn't feel that, does he? Yeah. If you want to read some uh, spirit-edifying material of a theological bent, I would recommend John Stott, The Cross of Christ. I've, re- I've referred to him before. I want to read a couple of things from him, if I could, just to help us understand what we're talking about when we look at ourselves as human beings who are fallen. Don't, don't, change, don't, don't get confused that we don't look out on the culture and say there's good people and bad. Of course there are, you know. Most of us are good people. We couldn't live together in a culture uh, unless most of us were basically good in the sense of our behaviors and our social awareness and we live by rules and we don't rob from each other and all of that, right? But the point is, from God's perspective, we are all broken sinners. And that's when the gospel really grips us is when we realize that. That's why I need a savior. It doesn't matter what you're back. It doesn't matter if you were raised in a perfect Christian household, you know, in Tupperware with all the sin burped out of it. You know what I mean? doesn't matter. You're still sinful. Sir, are you interrupting me again? No, thank you. Go ahead. Thank you. That's a good one. Yeah, we're well-behaved, right? And we have to be. So we can, you know, it's not wrong to say uh, those are good people. You know, my, my neighborhood, I got good people in my neighborhood. That kind of, that's legit, right? Because that's talking about from a social standpoint, not a theological standpoint, because we know in an absolute sense, from a theological standpoint, none of us are really good unless God rescues us and we're in the process of changing. Even then, I'm not totally good yet. One day I will be, but I've got to die to get there. So I'm like not in a hurry yet, but I want to be so holy. Take me right now. No, I don't. that's not the right way to pray. Anyway, let me just read a couple of things. In Dale's words, this, he's quoting a theologian. It is partly because, oh, I love this one. Sin does not provoke our own wrath that we do not believe that sin provokes the wrath of God. We're kind of dulled down, if you know what, I'm, what he's trying to say. From a biblical standpoint, the, object, the objective aspect of the atonement, we talked about that, is summed up like this. It consists in a combination of the inflexible righteousness of God with its penalties, but where we're rescued is by God's transcendent love. 
quoting a theologian named G.C. Burkhauer, in the cross of Christ, God's justice and love are simultaneously revealed. In case I lost you, what this is describing is that the reason we can be received by God and loved by him, you're a good, good father, that's who you are, and it's who I am, I'm loved by you. Why is that true? Because of the love of God manifested by his sacrifice on the cross to make us holy. Not because we're so cheeky, (laughs) wonderful. Here's how he writes it. In the cross of Christ, God's justice and the love of God are simultaneously revealed. Calvin, echoing Augustine, was even bolder. He wrote of God that in a marvelous and divine way, he loved us even when he hated us. Oh, that's impossible. No, you better read your Bible again. It's not impossible. That's the whole point. You get it, right? You have kids. Have you ever had a... I can't stand this kid. Right? No, I know no one ever had that happen. I don't know. (laughs) Quote from our past. I don't know which of us is going to die first. (laughs) And I got, I got, we, we love our kids and enjoy them, okay? No question. We actually like being together. I know you're amazed, right? Anyway, it's all true. Now, yeah. Oh, my. So, anyhow, that's enough from that. The point of the verse that we just saw is that left to ourselves, we're in great trouble. And if I can show the next Slide. This is a reminder of a definition of grace. Grace is God dealing with his people, catch this, not on the basis of. Merit or worthiness. Here's what I want to really want to say. Not on the basis of what they deserve. You get it? What I deserve? Yikes. But simply according to their need. In other words, he deals with them on the basis of his goodness and generosity, not on the basis of what they deserve. So go to the next one, uh, which is blank. Leave it. Yeah, that's it. Story, 1 Kings. I'm going to tell a story for a minute just to illustrate the point. Because I was thinking about this when I was getting ready to preach. I was thinking a few times in my Christian experience, I've done some things or I've had some words come out of my mouth. In the Old Testament, I saw someone who did that get stoned to death by the community. Which means, I'm on borrowed time, baby. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we thought, oh, thank God, I've never done anything like that. Okay, I'm getting, making real progress here. Okay, so... Here's what the Bible says. I want you to follow along with me just for the fun of it. You want to do this? Anybody? Anybody into like reading the Bible in church? Can you imagine? All right. Turn in the black version or if you have your own or you've got it on your phone, please don't be texting your girlfriend. while. Uh, but you can look it up. It's 2 Samuel, the 16th chapter. Yeah, I know that verse up there says 1 Kings because that's the end of the story. Don't go there yet. We're in 2 Samuel, the 16th chapter. In this black book from your your chair, it's page 334. That's where you want to go. 
334. Everybody remember King David was the one with a heart after God, and God promised to him that his kingdom would be a representation of his glorious holy kingdom, the throne. Solomon takes over David's throne, and it says he sits on the throne of the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean in heaven, but it means that was a representation of God's being with his people right here on the earth. How cool was that? And Solomon became that great king who uh, manifested wealth and glory and wisdom and all of that like our Messiah. David was the chosen vessel that God used to bring all that to be, right? Even though he had blown it, what was his big sin? Yeah. And, and what was bigger than that? Murder. He took out her husband. Yikes. We said, well, see, then we can get away with everything. No. The way it turned around was he was thoroughly broken. And in his brokenness wrote Psalm 51, right? Have, have mercy on me. You know, the, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And he's broken. And God sees it and says, I will never take away my covenant promise from David. I'll still establish his kingdom because he got it right even after the fact. But there's going to be some consequences because, guys, you cannot go out. I've said this before from my old brother, A.B. Blair. He's a southern boy, preacher. You can't go out and sow your wild oats and then pray for crop failure. Doesn't work. And he said there's going to be some consequences, and one of the consequences was his children became problematic, and Absalom tries to steal the kingdom and kill his own father. So David's running for his life in this text. And as he and his entourage are leaving, this would make a great movie, wouldn't it? His entourage are leaving town. We pick up the story on page 334, verse 5. King David came out to Bahurim. Behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul. Who was Saul? David's predecessor. He was king of Israel. So this man, a Benjamite, was a relative and probably pretty well off and maybe had a political and financial stake in Saul being the king. And all of that had been erased when David came on the scene. There's a little bit of attitude here. He comes out of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you piece of crud. That's my paraphrase. You man of bloodshed, you worthless fellow. That's where it is. Worthless fellow is a little more raunchy than that. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, which, by the way, is a complete lie. That's not what happened. Okay, so he's got his... You know how people, when they're hurting and angry and they take up sides, they get the details wrong. They revision history. They revision the facts. That's what he had done. Anyway, the Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. You're getting what you deserve. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. And I love this, Abishai. Anybody know who he is? There were three brothers who were David's right-hand military leaders, right? Three brothers. Joab who became a traitor later, 
Abishai and Asahel, who was as swift as a, as a deer on the mountains. Asahel had been taken out by uh, Abner, who was Saul's general, chief of the army. So there's a, later on, that's why Job, Joab gets in trouble, because he's got a vengeance plot in his heart ever since then, and he undermines King David by killing Abner. So Joab gets his later, too. Okay, That's a sidebar. But one of those mighty men, the brother, is Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, says to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go now over and cut off his head. It's back when men were men, you know. <laughs> guys need to get out more. Anyway, king said, what have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? They're always looking for vengeance. They're always doing this kind of... That's why he's mad. That's why he, David reacts the way he does right now. He deserves to have his head... Does anybody agree? He deserves it. This is unconscionable. I have a little sidebar on that in a second. What have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai, why don't you wake up and smell the coffee? Behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite who feels, because of his revisioned history, he thinks he's been defrauded in some way. And he's wrong, but my own son wants to kill me. So lighten up. Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Yikes. Now, let me just say something. Isn't it interesting that when you're at your worst time, there are people who love to just kind of kick you when you're down? Boy, this relates to me more than I hate to unpack some of it. Just people can be so dense and miss the bigger picture. David is in turmoil at this point, and oh, there's a great time to take advantage and, uh, and beat him down. So Abishai is, is um, a Shimei rather, is loading guilt upon himself by the minute in what he's doing. Not just his wrong view and his speaking. If I see people going through a terrible time like that, you know, I, ha I have had people... Um, oppose my ministry in the past and be dirty in their fighting and all of that. And I go, Lord, you know, you know, you take, you take note and you do what is right. And God calls me to try to work through forgiving them and ask for blessing on them. Did you know Jesus told us to do that? And then when something hits them and they get blasted and life falls apart all around them, I don't run out and go, ha! You know why? Because I don't want that coming down on me. Abishai should, uh, I keep mixing them up, Shimei should have kept his mouth shut, even if he thought that this was God's judgment on David. So, he had a wicked heart on a number of fronts, didn't he? Well, it was going to catch up on him. So, this was actually an abusive situation, what he was going through. And after Everything was done, and David's in the dumps, and he's down, and he's thinking, yeah, maybe God is against me. Ever felt that way? Maybe God is against me. Maybe I deserve this kind of treatment, and my wife can testify. I've been there a few times. Maybe I deserve that. They're, they're disgustingly 
rude and obnoxious and nasty and hateful, but maybe, maybe, maybe I blew something here. And then time goes on, and God restores the man's inner spirit, and he starts to think about it, and he goes, nah, that was wrong. They shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. God's favor is still resting on me. So here's where the story keeps going. If I can go to the next verse. So at the end, King Solomon is now on the throne. And he calls for... Oh, actually, can you back that up one? I don't want everybody... Everybody's reading. Look, you're so intently reading that. I have to tell you a little bit. What happens is when David takes over the throne, he takes care of Joab because David had said to Solomon, when Solomon takes over the throne... Did I say that wrong? Sorry. When Solomon takes over, David is ready to go see Jesus. And David says to Solomon, I want you to take care of two things for me after I'm gone. How many of you are in your daily Bible? You're way past this, right? You already read this. Joab murdered Abner. Payback is expected. He gets executed. And that guy, Shimei, you remember what he did to me? The more I thought about that, and I don't think David was speaking out of bitterness and hate. I think he learned his lessons about that kind of thing. He's getting ready to go see God. But what he did was so unconscionable. You're a wise man. You'll figure out a way to bring his gray hair down to the grave miserably. So he calls in Shimei. Now think about it. If you were Shimei at this point, a new sovereign. There's a new kid in Washington, right? And you get called to the Oval Office. Uh-oh. I have done a few tweets about this guy. Anyway, um, you get called to the Oval Office. Shimei comes in and Solomon says, Hi, remember me? Yes. says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a house in Jerusalem. You stay there. The day you leave town without asking permission, I'll have you executed. Do you understand that? And Shimei says, sure, that's a deal. Thank you. Can I go now? And he did. Three years later, three years later, he forgets how dirty and guilty he is because this man has a wicked heart. He's never really repented. All he's done is dealt with the outward circumstances. And his servant runs away and he says, oh, I'm not putting up with that. He gets his beamer. He starts it up and he goes chase this guy over to the next town. He comes back. The police chief says, guess what we saw on video? That guy left town. And this is what happens. Now we can read it. The king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you? I gave you your life back, saying, You will know for certain on the day you depart and go anywhere, you shall surely die. And you even said to me, Deal. The word which I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and command which I laid on you? Next verse. King also said to Shimei, you know all the evil you acknowledge in your heart. Isn't that great? In other words, you know, you, let's be honest. You're, you're at the end of your life right now, pal. Why don't you admit it? You are a sneaky, rotten, hateful, scheming, arrogant, unteachable, unrepentant man. You acknowledge all the evil that was in your heart, what you did to my father, which was kicking a man when he was down, and it was vicious, and it was based on a lie and your hate. 
Therefore, the Lord shall return your evil on your own head, but King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. He commands Benaiah. They kill him right there. Oh, what a terrible story. I thought this morning's message was about grace. Yes. He got grace when, when Zeruiah didn't cut his head off. Right? I mean, um, whoever it was, the right-hand guy. Abishai didn't cut his head off. He got grace then. He gets called in at the inauguration. He gets grace then. Go home and live in your, enjoy your little fireplace. Read your novels till you get old and gray. He can't even obey that. He's such a stinker. He gets grace and grace and grace and sticks his tongue out at the grace of God. So he got what he deserved, don't you think? Do you believe that God deals with us not on the basis of what we deserve. Do you understand that you don't deserve mercy? That I don't deserve it. It's wrong for me to take it for granted. That's the whole point. So the whole theme has been, because of grace, is that we are called to change Shimei had an opportunity to do some soul searching and say, what kind of a thinker am I? What's wrong with me? But he never did. And Christians do the same thing. And it's wrong. Christ has rescued you by his very own shed blood. Don't you think you owe him something? Maybe to open your heart up and say, where do you want to poke around and change things? There was a track written years ago, My Heart Christ Home. You know, we let him into our house. Oh, we want him in the house because we want to go to heaven. And then he starts poking around of all the nerve. He said, what's in this room? Oh, oh you can come in here, Lord. This, I got this one all fixed up. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nice. I hate that picture. Would you mind taking it? Well, not that picture. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, but it's... I would like to get rid of... Okay, Lord. So we begrudgingly give that. And then he finally, you know, does that room after room, gets to the closet. The cl- Not that! No! <laughs> and our spirit gets stalled right there. Right there. And we're still... Five years old in Jesus. Sorry, you didn't like that. Here's what the scripture tells us. I'm going to close with this because I could go on. I'm having too much fun here. I'm sorry about you guys. I'm having a good time. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are... Duh! If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. Isn't that a great verse? Bye, bye, back it up, back it up. Thank you. This Baptist church allows tongues. Okay, so let me get this right here. I've got to get the right one. Here it is. Calvary Road, Roy Hessian. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. To walk in the light is the opposite of walking in darkness. Hello? 
Spurgeon defines it in one of his sermons as, get this, the willingness to know and be known. As far as God is concerned, this means we are willing to know the whole truth about ourselves. We are open to conviction. Real Christians, normal Christians, are constantly changing and open to conviction. If you haven't been, if you haven't had an uh-oh moment for six months, you are in trouble. You, oh, I'm not. Everything's going great. Yep. Wait till Jesus talks to you when you see him. You're going to find out just how badly you failed the test. Thank you. <laughs> That's the light. Walking in the light. Listen to this one. This is funny. We have become so used to the fact that God knows all about us, it does not even seem to register with us, and we inevitably end up by not knowing the truth about ourselves. Don't you hate books like this? Sin always involves us in being unreal, pretending, duplicity, window dressing, excusing ourselves, and blaming others. It's always their fault. In my case, that's always true. Not in yours. It's a joke. A while back, brother, one of our brothers, who's not here today, but he, he uh, suggested a, a sermon by Tim Keller, who's an outstanding brother down in the city, by the way. And he was teaching about change and cooperating with the grace of God. And here's what he said, and I'm going to close with this idea. You have to know that you're in Christ. You have to know that he's a good, good father and that I am loved by him. You can settle that. And if you do, then I can be without fear to open up the closet and go, this is a mess, Lord. Where do we begin? Here's what he said if you want to really change. One, admit how sinful you are. Come, come get real about it. Here's the fun one. Two, avoid the false solution. What's the false solution? I'm not going to tell you. No, I am going to tell you. You're all like, what is the false solution? Here's the false solution. Trying hard to avoid the consequences of sin rather than the cause. Trying to avoid the consequences. I'm sorry for myself rather than sorry before God about the sin, what I did. Don't use the false. That's window dressing. That's faking it. That's garbage. No change will ever happen because all you're doing is reinforcing the dike instead of getting freed up. Admit how sinful you are. Avoid the false solution. And here's his last point. I gave credit to him so I can't get accused of stealing this. The last point is this. Apply the true solution. Convict yourself with joy and keep at it. Pursue it. Not morbid. We're not talking about being morbid. I'm so miserable. You know, get yourself a little whip, you know, and yeah, see how spiritual I am. But joyfully, God, you're in the business of changing me. If I've been in bondage to this thing for 12 years, there's still hope. He's God. He can free me. Our expectations of God, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said this, our hope for joy and expectation with God is too low rather than too high not expecting him to do anything. Well, let's change that. And all of God's people said, Amen. let's stand together and close in prayer. You want to get on the journey? Be happy to coach you. Okay? Let's pray.
Thanks for the gathering of your people today. Thank you for a new year. May it be the year of change, Lord Jesus Christ. This is your church, not ours, not ours, not mine. It's yours, because if it's not yours, make it go away. Make it go away. Take it off the planet if it's not fully going to be yours. We want it to be yours, and that you, the redeemed,